0: Uh, in a minute, we're going to read from John chapter 13, but let me try and explain, as we enter our new series on John's Gospel, a little bit about how John's Gospel works. One way to think about John's Gospel is it's written in two parts. If you're going to a, a, a play, it's got two acts. It's got an interval in the middle of it. And the first part, you've got some verses at introduction. The first part goes from the middle of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 12. And the second part starts at the beginning of chapter 13. So in in part one, in act one, Jesus is traveling all over the place. He goes to Jerusalem, to Galilee, Samaria. Act two, part two happens in Jerusalem. Act one maybe takes three years. We We don't know if I said, but maybe three years. Act two takes one or two weeks. In act one, Jesus is really busy doing lots of things. In Act Two, things are much quieter, and all that we're going to think about today, apart from the first, the first chapter 13, is Jesus talking with his disciples. If you were on, if you were on a stage, Act One would be lots of lights. You would go away and you would come back, and Act Two would be really quite gloomy, to set the scene. So you need to imagine for a minute that you've we've watched Act One, you've gone and had your ice cream. And then you've come back, and the lights are a bit gloomy. There's a few candles on the stage. And this is the setting for chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. So, if you can imagine that for a minute, Nick's going to come and read from chapter 13.
1: So if you have one of these Bibles, it's page 1020, so beginning at the first verse of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. "'Do you understand what I have done for you?' he asked them. "'You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master.' nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Thank you. Um, We've
0: uh, we've messed about this morning, haven't we? Uh, And we've played with shaving foam. But actually, the idea of washing feet is a very serious thing. This is the heart of the passage. So... Do you want to put it down here for me, Paddy? So we thought, actually, maybe one of the best ways of understanding the passage is actually to engage with it physically. So we're going to wash some feet. Paddy, why don't we start with you, okay. and then we'll, go, we'll start with Joe and Tim, and we'll go around. Okay, grab a, grab a chair. Take your, sh- take your socks off. Uh, so who's thinking... Who's thinking I really don't want to do that. <laughs> Hands up. Did you notice in the passage that Peter said no, we're not going to do it Joe, it's all right. But come, come on Joe, Paddy bring it back. Joe wants to say she's ready. Come on Joe. Yeah. Tim and Joe are ready. Here we go. Yes, Tim and Joe. Did you notice, we're not going to do everybody, don't worry, if you're sitting there thinking this is going to be a terrible thing, did you notice that Peter said no? Jesus goes through Cyprus, gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, you're not doing this. And of course, when Peter, Jesus said, well, you've got to, Peter changed his mind and said, actually, watch all of me, because actually, I'm all in. Why do you, why, well, let's start with you. If you put your hand up, you certainly don't want to do this, why, why wouldn't you want that to happen? Gondi. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyone <laughs> else? Okay. <laughs> okay. We could change the water. I think it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable the idea that somebody else was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Okay, yeah. Well, why do you think Peter said no? Well, I mean, we're not told, but I have a... I mean, well, you go on. on. Okay, absolutely. Go on. Okay, so, so feet washing was a, something of a slave's job. What, what's happening here is that Peter's world is being turned upside down. Peter lives in a world where there are masters and servants... And you knew your place. And you might be a master to some people and servant to somebody else. That's how life works, isn't it? You might have a boss. You might have other people you're responsible for. But in Jesus, turns his world upside down. Notice in verse 13 that Jesus gives us a clue. He says, "Uh, uh, you call me teacher and master and rightly so. Uh, for Peter, then, to have Jesus wash his feet felt completely wrong. This was not how the world worked. Uh, and, and for Peter to so say yes means he's got to rethink the whole way the world works. Uh, the, the passage begins with Jesus doing something. It begins with the way that he wants to, you know, we've set our scene, it's all gloomy, and the first thing that happens is Jesus gets up. I want you to have a little conversation together. If you were to describe or to find some words to describe Jesus in this passage, what would they be? And I want you to try and come up with one word as a little group. One word to describe Jesus in this passage. You might have several you think about, but maybe you might want to suggest to them one word that is describing words to describe Jesus in this passage. Have a go. (laughs) Uh, Any thoughts? What words would you want to say? Someone give me an idea. Some words. What would you want to say? Servant-hearted. Anyone else? Humble. Humble. Yeah, I had humble at the front. Go on, Andy. Punchy. 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 Okay. What do you mean? Okay. Okay, that are are harder to understand. Yeah, harder harder to live out. I think. Go on, Matt. Okay, subservient. So, to notice that um, one of the things that that changes as you go through Act Two of John's Gospel is that things happen to Jesus. He becomes arrested, and tortured, and crucified. So the person who is doing the acting becomes the one acted on as we go through the gospel. But here Jesus is still the one doing the acting, isn't he? And it uses six verbs, six doing words at the very beginning of chapter 13. It said, he got up, he took off his outer garment, he tied a towel around his waist, filled a bowl with water, washed the disciples' feet and dried them in a towel. Jesus is the one who is acting here. He's the one who is acting in a way that is humble. And subservient. And servant hearted. This is what we see Jesus doing. I guess uh, uh, the third question I want to ask is. Well, well why is Jesus doing this? What's prompting Jesus to do this? Why, why is Jesus? Go on. Okay. Okay, so Jesus is doing it to prepare them. Thus he says, because I have done this, you ought to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Any other idea? Why is... Go on, Kay. That okay. Absolutely. This is... So he's wanting to say, I'm giving you an example. This ought to shape the way that you live going forward. You are worth it. I, and you're worth it. Yeah, these are... These are um, uh, these are disciples whom he says, actually, uh, this is actually an act of love, isn't it? Amongst other things. Yeah. What, one of the things you notice in, in this passage in the gospel is that the initiative comes entirely from Jesus. Some people suggest, well, m- maybe there was a bit, maybe there was a bit of an argument. Because washing feet was a servant's job and maybe nobody wanted to do it. You know, So in that culture, having your feet washed wasn't unusual. Um, so it may not have been quite so uncomfortable. Uh, but no one would do it. And Jesus got fed up in the end. They thought, well, I might as well do it since no one else is going to do it. But that's not what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us this was entirely Jesus' initiative. He didn't do it because of other events around him. He did it because this he wanted to do. Go on, B. B.
1: This is absolutely, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, if you go and read on into chapter, into verse three, it says, "Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, that He had come from God, and was returning to God. So, He got up." There's something here about uh, Jesus' identity as who he was, knowing he'd come from God, knowing how he was loved and held by God, that enabled him to give himself away. Not prompted by events or what needed to be done, but prompted by this utter sense of love as he was held by God and love for his disciples. He knew he who was. So he gave himself away. Without fear, without anxiety, without holding anything back. So we might want to think about two things that come out of this. Uh, The first, and we picked up both of them already. Uh, The first is to remind ourselves that this is a moment of revelation. Uh, John's gospel, more than any of the other gospels, stress that Jesus is the Son of God. You get towards the end of chapter 20, and John tells you the purpose for writing the gospel. I have written these signs that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the whole point of writing the gospel, that people might believe Jesus is the Son of God. And here is a moment, therefore, of revelation. Think back to the words that you, you shared with us, about Jesus in this passage? Servant-hearted, humble, subservient. Are they the normal words we use of God? Well, probably not. But if this is a moment of revelation, and here is Jesus as the Son of God, kneeling and washing his disciples' feet, then Matt's first comment is absolutely right. Here is God washing their feet. In humility, and service, and subservience. This is God. And if we were to start with a passage like this to say, what's God like? We're not going to use language like, well, God is almighty and powerful. We're going to use language to talk about humility, and service, and love, and vulnerability. This, John says, is God. Kneeling At the disciples' feet and washing them, taking the role of the least of the servant. This is God. The second thing it tells us is about the call to discipleship. Jesus goes on to say, I've given you example that you should do as I have done. You should follow this example. I'm not going to be, as Helen and Kate said, I'm not going to be here. You no, know, this is passing the button. This is how you ought to be as a community of God's people. This is about discipleship, isn't it? And it comes back to discipleship because it's about how Jesus acted and how we do that. If we come back to verse 3 a minute, we notice again that Jesus knew the Father, put all things into his power, they had come from, he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up. Uh, but we know the challenge for us is quite different, isn't it? We don't know we've come from God. And we don't know we're going to God. But still, we have a challenge to do as Jesus told us to do. We have the challenge of being frail and broken people with all our struggles and insecurities, yet somehow we're called to do this. And part of the difficulty, I think, of a passage like this, the punchy bit, I think, as Andy says, is it asks something of us that really is very difficult. And we shouldn't underestimate the difficulty of it. We shouldn't underestimate the difficulty for Peter of understanding Jesus as God washing his feet. Nor shall we understand the difficulty of what it means for us to wash other people's feet. And of course what Jesus doesn't mean is literally going and washing people's feet everywhere. But how do we take this attitude into life tomorrow? Whether we're at work, at home, at school, what kind of circumstance will we face where the attitude we're called to have is one of humility and service and even servitude. And that's a challenge. Because I know myself and I know the struggles that I have. We see Jesus as someone who knew who he was, loved by God, and I see myself as someone full of insecurities and, and failings and brokenness. And there's a sense, of course, that I see myself as a mixed person. Really wanting to do this, but knowing the struggles of actually doing it in practice. You know, I I want other people to succeed and do well. But I know sometimes that makes me feel, uh, you know, well, I I guess, success makes you feel a bit more vulnerable yourself. You know, I genuinely want to help you understand the Bible. I want you to think I'm good at what I'm doing. I, I want to be able to give myself away in love, but I quite like to control things and have things as they are, and I want them to be. And we live, don't we, with this mixture all the time. This call to be servant-hearted, yet we know Actually, the frailties, the insecurities, the struggles that are part of our life. Uh, I wonder whether there are two things we all might help us think about. Uh, one is the idea uh, that the Bible talks about grace. Grace is a word the Bible uses to talk about God's help, God's mercy, God's strength. You see, it seems to me that the biggest problem we might face it's not that we are broken, frail people who made mistakes, but those moments when we think that we're not frail people who don't make mistakes, and think we're really quite capable, and we can do this, and actually what we want to do is absolutely right. We always stand in need of God's grace, which first means admitting our own brokenness and failings and frailty, and to say before God, I need your mercy and grace. And without that, I simply can't do this. And that challenges our pride, our sense of self-control, our sense of status and power sometimes, that we say we stand in need of God's grace. The second thing we need, of course, is some courage. This side of heaven, we're never going to have that sense of security and love and knowledge that Jesus shared. So we're all going to carry on for the rest of life with these struggles. But sometimes we need the courage to say, This is what I'll try and do. And to pray to God for that courage. So that there are moments in life when we take the courage to say, I'm going to wash that person's feet. Whatever it means tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. And how we combine that sense of courage and grace to actually try. Even though it might be difficult and costly, and maybe we'll mess it up. But to try and have that courage. Uh, As some of you know, uh, uh, my day job is I teach theology at a college in Oxford Uh, And many of my students that I work with are people who either are trained to be Baptist ministers or are coming to college to, to work in other churches and other contexts. And so we talk a lot about leadership and what leadership looks like in a church context. And over the last, I guess, 40 years now, there's been a phrase that's been used extensively in church circles about leadership, and it's called servant leadership. Uh, and the idea being that we need to be people who are servant leaders. And I want to say yes to a point, because John 13 is much more radical than that. My experience often is, when we talk about servant leaders, is we talk about servant leaders. <laughs> and we say the first thing very quietly and the second thing very loudly. Because Jesus doesn't call his disciples to be servant leaders. He calls them to be leading servants. We need to turn the words around. It's not that some are called to be leaders and some are called to be servants. Everyone is called to be a servant. But some are called in the church to lead the way of serving, to be the leading servants. Paddy said that in March we're going to elect leaders for the church. We're going to elect the leading servants of the church. Which is not about control, it's not people having their way, it's about people who are going to lead the way of serving. Which is why the most fundamental characteristic is that is their quality of their life and their character and their spirituality we don't need more leaders we need people who will be the radical disciples of Jesus Christ we need more leading servants because this is what God calls us to moments of quiet and then we're going to pray